Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. And if you go on social media, make sure you use the hashtag, hashtag SGN. All right, guys, what a week that we have. Oh, my goodness. We're going into the Sweet 16. We're going into the Elite Eight. You would assume that college basketball is dominating the landscape. But wait a minute. Major League Baseball is back and a huge trade in the NFL. So we're going to get into all of that today. Oh, boy, I'm telling you, I am 100 miles per hour because these trades, these moves, everything has gone crazy. Dave, I just came back from Atlantic City last weekend. I watched the opening weekend of the college basketball. I got to tell you, I am absolutely pumped up. This feeling lasts with you. I, I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but I suggest everybody out there, if you've never gone to an actual sports book, whether it be Atlantic City, whether it be Las Vegas, for the opening weekend, you just have to go. Just as sports betting fans, guys, you know, this is the the pinnacle. I have been to Las Vegas or Atlantic City for now, I believe it's now, if I'm not mistaken, 15 in the last 17 or 15 in the last 18 Super Bowls. Okay, Super Bowl is fun. Super Bowl weekend is is fantastic, especially in Las Vegas, which I absolutely love Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Uh, I haven't been in a little while, but... It, it, it's just great. It's great. The build-up, the weekend, um, the camaraderie, the the prop plays, everyone's got to talk. It, it's a different experience. I've been to opening day. Now, 10 of the last 11 years, either in Las Vegas or Atlantic City. Opening day of the NFL, which is always very, very cool. I've been to opening day in Major League Baseball many times. I've been to the NBA Finals and the NBA Playoffs. I've been to the NHL Finals and the NHL playoffs. Uh, I, I've been for many, many times, many situations. Nothing compares to opening Thursday, Friday. And, and Look, Saturday, Sunday's fun, but nothing compares to the opening Thursday, Friday at all of the NCAA tournament. At all. And we live in a generation, I, I've said this a couple times on my regular radio show, I want you guys to listen to that one a bit, weekend edition, it's on every Sunday morning. I, I've, Mentioned this on that show so many times because it really is so true. We live in a generation now, and I say now, which is only a couple of years old, but we live in a generation now where the accessibility of and ease of making bets is right in your pocket, right? I mean, it's right there. So people are not going to the sports books like they used to. People are going to regular sports bars. People are staying at home, sitting on their couch and just plugging it in. But there's a different atmosphere. Dare I say I like it better than the game itself. And I, I like it better than the game itself because of a few places, a few you know problems and being different places affects you differently. And let me explain. So if you go to the game it, itself, let's say you went to the NCAA tournament. You're not getting all the games. Right, So you're only in one location. You're not getting all the games. And generally speaking, you're surrounded by fans, okay? Not by betters, by fans. So, yeah, that's fun, but once your team is out, now you're kind of rooting for whoever comes up next, and 
prevailing, usually it's whoever's sitting around you that, that is the ebbs and flows of it. And uh, this is a, a limited viewing. You don't get to watch the other games. There's, there, look, going to the NCAA tournament is fantastic, but there's a lot of drawbacks there from a live event. In a sports book, it's everybody that's there with the same mindset as you. Everybody is there with a betting mindset, which is just a, such a cool situation. Everyone's there. Usually, they're sitting there for the 10, 12, 14 hours that you are. You get to know the people around you. You're high-fiving. You're, you're up and down. One of the great stories I can tell you from this weekend is um, we had a table of guys behind us, about 10 guys, and the table next to them, about 8 to 10 guys. One of them, all of a sudden, at the end of the game, at the end of the Villanova game on Friday, everyone's cheering and go crazy. And, um, you know, the game's in well in hand. There's only about three minutes left in the game. Villanova's well in hand. they got to move on in the tournament. Okay, no big deal. And you hear the cheers and the crazy cheers. Well, why? The table behind us had over 58.5 for the team playing Villanova as a team total. The team next to them had over 59. They got the bad number at 59. And it really did come down to pretty much the last shot. And the last shot got them to the 60. But the whole place, the, the, the hundreds of people that were in the sports book at that moment were all rooting for these guys because the games were over. Uh, the Villanova game was over. We were in that kind of spot where we're waiting for the next game to come on. These guys were cheering all day. And we all became kind of uh, close with them and friends with them. Okay, now we're cheering. I mean, and that happens. And you see things like people cheering for the total or cheering for a team total or cheering for a player prop. And at a sports book, you know, most people are friendly. They want to show you what they have. Guy standing next to me during the NCAA tournament just came over, just started talking. He's like, oh, look, I, I, I got LeBron. I, I need a couple of points there. And I need, you know, a couple of assists from, from Westbrook. Now, all of a sudden, after the games are over, I'm sitting back and I have that, that small window, like I said, and, and I'm going, all right, now, games are over. I'm rooting for this guy to hit his LeBron prop. I mean, that's just kind of the way that it is. And one of the other interesting you know, factors is um, you get very interesting best friends. <laughs> we watched uh, on Thursday Texas play um, uh, uh, Virginia Tech. And the guy in the Texas hat and the Texas shirt, and he was all Texas out, right? He's yelling across, getting all excited about his team coming back. And the Virginia Tech guy is yelling, and they're sitting, you know, a couple of seats away from each other. They certainly didn't know each other. And they're yelling and screaming. It never got tension, but they were definitely giving it to each other and giving each other to each other the whole game, the whole game. Uh, really, really riding each other. Got, all right, they lose. The Virginia Tech guy's upset kind of storms out. He's a little mad. The Texas guy's doing, you know, a, a dance, and here we go. Well, two games later, right, because that was that was the late, uh, two games later, all of a sudden, in the middle of the game, they're high-fiving. Why? Because now the Texas guy and the Virginia Tech guy were on the same ticket, <laughs> okay? So now they're best friends. It wound up winning. They were high-fiving. They were drinking shots together. I mean, that is the sportsbook feel. So I just wanted to kind of give you guys a little... You know, just a little taste of that, because I, I do think it's important that we remember, you know, things like that. Um, like I said, look, the mobile app and the mobile app experience, it's a very new experience, right? Um, we, we get that. But 
there are some drawbacks because the sports book is fantastic. All right, let's quickly take a look at Thursday's games. I know some of you guys are probably listening to this on Friday, so we'll get into Friday's games um, segment two. So give me uh, about 10 minutes here. I just want to run through Thursday's games and what we have. Look, Gonzaga against Arkansas. My feeling is that Arkansas was a team that I could see going out in the first round. As you guys know, I did take Vermont plus the five. Nice, nice job there. But... You look at Arkansas, and while I could see them going out in the first round, I also very well said, hey, I could see them in the Final Four. They went through a period of time in the SEC, which the SEC has looked uh, like a down conference here once he gets to the tournament, but they looked very much like a team coming out of the SEC at one point this this season. They won 14 to 15 games. They looked like they could win it all. Now, Gonzaga is a team that did struggle early on uh, in people's minds. And Gonzaga seemingly during the tournament always struggles a little bit early on in people's minds. But then they kind of adjust. And you have Mark Few here with four days off to get ready. Uh, the total is 155. I, I don't know if I could go and, and touch on a 155, 155 and a half it actually uh, ticked up to. I don't think I could touch on that total. Um, but I probably won't touch the under either because Arkansas's lack of defense does get alarming at times. I, I Look, I, I can't see Gonzaga losing this game, but I certainly could see Arkansas keeping this one close. Villanova, Michigan, another game where you're giving a superior coach, and, and you could like Jawan Howard all you want, but Jay Wright may be the best coach in the country. You're giving Jay Wright four days, five days here to get ready for Michigan. Villanova's a five-point favorite. 135 is the over-under, or at least that's what it opened up at. I see 133 and a half's out there right now. That's probably a more realistic number. Villanova is going to have problems inside. Michigan has the inside. They're going to control the glass. They're going to have the bigs underneath. But Villanova is one of those teams that they don't care. You know, it mat in a matchup situation, they don't care at all if they're going to lose inside. They are superior team from the outside. They like taking that three ball. They have no problem taking that three ball. And while Michigan has a fantastic player who probably will go out there and dominate in the NBA, I still think Connor Gillespie at this level is still the best player on the court. So you have the best coach on the court. You have the best player on the court. You have an outside shooting team that is going to be forced to go outside. All lines up for Villanova for me. I don't believe Michigan should even be here at this point. Now, they've proven, look, they, they, they've won some games to get here. They had a strength of schedule that was absolutely crazy. But overall, you know, look, I look at Villanova and I go, they are a team that looks like they're hungry for a championship, not just kind of advancing here. I think they flew under the radar a little bit in the Big East. I think that the Big East as a whole flew under the radar a little bit when you're talking about overall season. Villanova's not going to be worried about Michigan's size because they're going to have a game plan to go against that Michigan size. It's very simple. If, if Villanova is hitting their shots, this game is a Villanova win. Now, you can go cold. My thing with why I like Villanova even more is because if they start going cold, we've seen them adjust, and we've seen them actually have something that uh, nobody in basketball seems to have now, which is a mid-range game. They have that mid-range game, and I think that that can really help them out. All right, what about Duke-Texas Tech? Best game of the day by far. Best game of the weekend, I think. Uh, Duke is a one-point underdog as a two-seed. Texas Tech comes in as a one-point favorite as a three-seed. Totals 137. Duke has had moments during this tournament uh, where we've saw— We've looked and we've seen the Duke that we saw during the season, right? Duke is a team that during the year— they looked at times like a national champion. And then Coach K's last game put a sour taste in our mouth. And then the ACC championship 
only enforce that. Duke's very young, so they're going to go through trials and tribulations. And, you know, I look at the first two rounds and I go, while I was impressed with Duke, Come on, it's Cal State Fullerton, who I told you guys last week, it was just an absolute disaster. I mean, they, they were the team that was going to get blown out. We know that. They didn't belong. They had horrendous efficiency. They couldn't hit a three-pointer. Okay, so I can't give Duke too much credit for blowing out Cal State Fullerton and just you know dominating that game. No, I'm not giving them too much credit there. And then you went out and you beat Michigan State. Give me the conversation about Izzo and Izzo in the tournament, Michigan State, and all that. Most people believe that Michigan State was on the bottom rung of the Big Ten. Most people believe that Michigan State, you know, as a 10 seed was about right. You know, they were not this dominating team. They were not a Final Four threat. So while I want to give Duke a lot of credit for what they've done here, they've still taken on nobody. Look, maybe it's recency bias because— if you talk to me before the Coach K's last game, and we did, we had an interview, you guys can go check it out here, uh, with Ian O'Connor, who wrote the book about Coach K, and me and him both basically said, you know, hey, the emotions of this team could propel them, you know, to a Final Four. Uh, Duke's got a lot of credit, uh, a lot of, yeah, they, they, they might. I mean, that was the conversation. Maybe it's recency bias because I cannot get out of my mind the loss on I guess we'll call it Coach K night, his final game at home to North Carolina, where really Duke wasn't even in that game. I mean, they really weren't in that game. You might be able to chalk that up to kids being young, way too much pressure. There was like 100 former Duke players there. Okay, sure. And I came back on the air right after that, and I said, all right, look, we're going to find out who this Duke team is. If they go out and they win the ACC championship, will anyone care that they lost that home game, that final home game? Well, they didn't. And they didn't lose the national championship or the ACC championship to a mediocre team. They lost it to Virginia Tech, who barely got into the tournament. The only reason they got into the tournament is because they beat Duke for the ACC champion. Uh, you know, Duke is is a hard team to kind of gauge. Texas Tech, same situation. Texas Tech, I'm I'm very blown away with the style that Texas Tech, and, and we'll say this ease that they've had humiliating Montana State, a team that was scoring, you know, like 90 points. They put up 97 themselves. You knew the defense was going to be good, but they put up 97. Then Notre Dame, they held Notre Dame to 53 points. It's it's not that Notre Dame loss because they played really well. It's the style that they lost, putting up only 53 points. And you go through the end of the year here. Look, you lost to Kansas. You lost at Oklahoma State by one. You lost at TCU by three. But during that stretch, you also beat Baylor. You beat Texas by six in Texas. You beat a good Oklahoma Oklahoma team. You humiliated Iowa State three games before the end of the season. Humiliated them, 72-41. to 41. So I see so many people giving Iowa State all this credit, but nobody giving Texas Tech the credit. I think it's a low-scoring game. I think it's a game where, uh, you know, I, I would not be surprised to see Duke moving on, but I think the line is right. I think that the line should be Texas Tech favored by one. And then finally, the late game is Arizona-Houston. Arizona-Houston, you look at, okay, Arizona's the one seed, Houston's the five seed, but Arizona is only a one-point favorite here. Over-unders, 144.5. Arizona just puts up 80 points every single night. Every single night, it just looks like Arizona's going to put in 80 points every night. 85 against TCU, 87 against Wright State, 84 against UCLA, 82 against Colorado, 84 against Stanford, 89 against Cal, 81 against Stanford, 91 against USC. Now, they lost against Colorado at Colorado in a weird, weird, weird loss. Uh, Before that, 97 Utah, 84 Oregon, 83 Oregon State, 92 Washington. I mean, they're putting up 80 a night. 
But here's the thing. They're also allowing eh, about 70 per night. Allowed 80 to TCU. They allowed 70 to Wright State. Okay, 76 to UCLA. 72 to Colorado. 80 to Stanford. So they're giving up a lot, but they're putting in a lot. And that might be the difference here. Arizona has the bigs underneath to really dominate this game. But Houston's defense is what is going to really separate this. Houston's got to stop them from getting 80. You're not going to outscore Arizona. You're just not going to be that. Now, Houston's defense held Illinois to 53. Now, Illinois is a completely different team. They are an underlooking team. They've been an underlooking team all year. They held UAB to 68. That's actually more impressive than the Illinois score because UAB was scoring pretty well. Memphis to 53. Tulane to 66. Cincinnati to 56. But in their losses, okay, they lost at Memphis at the end of the year. They gave up 75 in that game. They lost at against Memphis earlier in the year. They gave up 69. They lost at SMU. They gave up, gave up 85 in that game. They lost at Alabama. Gave up 83. So you look at where they struggle and where they struggle at teams that can put in 80-plus points. That is a worry if you're Houston. Now, Houston's defense has been fantastic. And if you believe here, now this is one of those rare double plays that I think you could have. If you believe that Arizona wins, you might as well just take Arizona in the over. I mean, you know, Arizona in the over make just a ton of sense if you believe that Arizona is going to win because Arizona is going to score. You got to think that Arizona is putting in 80 points. You've got to chalk that up. And the way that Arizona's defense has been playing has been basically just playing, hey, we're going to run the court. We're going to be up and down. Arizona's trying to control the tempo. And if you want to play like this, okay, well, you're going to have to play catch up with me. They are allowing 70. I mean, you have to almost chalk it up. If you like Arizona, you're going, all right, look, they're getting damn near close 80, and they're probably giving up at least 70. So that gives you an easy over if you like Arizona. If you like Houston, you're taking Houston based on the fact that you think they could slow this Arizona team down. Now, Arizona team total is only 73. So a lot of people do believe that they could slow this team down. You look at Arizona and Houston and you go, okay, if you like Arizona, Arizona and the over makes sense. But if you like Houston, Houston and the under makes sense. And I often tell people this as well. You know, I'm not saying to double it up. If you're going to go out there and bet $1,000 on Houston, I'm not telling you to go bet $1,000 on Houston and $1,000 on the under, okay? What I'm telling you is that have a little fun with it, right? Uh, try to kind of counteract it. Take $750 on Houston and take 250 on the under. Take 750 on Arizona and 250 on the over. And have that, that out clause that if you, the style of play works, that you handicap the game the correct way style-wise, and, and the style is the slowdown style for Houston. And the style for Arizona is the speed them up, run the floor. That's your style for Arizona. If you handicap the game correctly, usually the total is what you get. And in a game where it's a one, one-and-a-half point spread, which it sits at now, you could get Houston at one-and-a-half in some spots still. If a game is one, one-and-a-half spread, which it sits at right now, you could handicap cap this game pretty perfectly. You could have pace of play. You could have a defensive effort or the offensive effort. You could do everything. And then one bu bucket at the end kind of just throws you off. You don't want to be in that situation with Houston or Arizona. But you can counteract that with going with a total. So, you know, look, I, I think that these games are going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I do look and I say I can see an upset in most cases. And you look at the lines, one, one and a half, one. Five. Gonzaga is the biggest line at nine and a half. 
But the rest of them are pretty much close, tight, tight games. These are really well-lined situation. These are really well-lined games. Very, very sharp, sharp lines here. But I think you can find a little bit with the totals. The totals make a little sense to me. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. When we get back, we're going to go over Friday's games here, and we'll get into everything that's going on in the second half of the Sweet 16. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I have in front of me the odds to make the final four. I, I love these these alternate kind of prop plays. So in the Western region, the odds to make the final four, Gonzaga minus 165, Duke plus 400, Texas Tech plus 450, Arkansas is 10 to 1. Over in the South region, Arizona plus 125, Houston plus 225, Villanova plus 230, Michigan at 10 to 1. Over in the East region, Purdue minus 125, UCLA 2 to 1, North Carolina is 4 to 1, St. Peter's is 30 to 1. In the Midwest region, Kansas minus 175, Miami plus 500, Iowa State plus 550, Providence plus 600. That is what are the odds? Well, I kind of like these. I, I, I got to say, I kind of like when, when places like this put these out um, and you're able to, to kind of jump on them. I know that this is at Circa and Westgate. I don't know if you could find these uh, readily available in any of your, your really offshores um, uh, or, I, I'm sorry, oh, anything besides offshores unless you go to Vegas itself. I haven't seen them on FanDuel or DraftKings. Uh, I also checked uh, Caesars. Caesars had them up for a little bit or a variation of this, and I had heard MGM, bet MGM did, but I didn't uh, do the, the checking because I only got these updated odds early this morning. All right, let's talk about it, though. Um, yeah, Gonzaga, look, I mean, that makes sense. You know, odds to make the Final Four. They got two more games they got to win. They're going to have to beat Obviously, Arkansas, and then, you know, either Duke or Texas Tech, you're laying 165. So, you know, if you were money-lining him, you're you're getting—if you're money-lining this with Gonzaga, you know, you're laying 9.5. So, I mean, the, the money line is, is nearly 4-1. to one. So, okay, there's good value there in the first round. And then in the second round, what is the what are the odds going to be? I mean, Gonzaga against Texas Tech or Gonzaga against Duke is going to be more than 165. So that's a good, smart bet. And I like Duke-Texas Tech because it's 1-1. If you're going to take Arkansas, rather than taking them 10-1, I'll just take them money line, money line in the both, both of the games where they'll be underdogs. Uh, you talk about the South region, Arizona, Houston, Villanova, Michigan. You know, I, I thought Villanova could be worth a stab because I do like them. Right now they are minus 170 on the money line, and then the, the, se- the second game they'd be – Man, they'd probably be underdogs. So I don't love that. And I thought maybe a three to one you could have a shot. If you're gonna take a shot at anybody, I mean maybe Michigan at ten to one. But again, the same situation. Now they're not getting a lot against Villanova. And if Houston wins, they won't be getting a lot. So I guess Michigan would be the smart play. I don't like it. Uh, but Michigan's the the mathematical smart play there. Over in the eastern region, I had Purdue going, but I think Purdue, UCLA, North Carolina are all very, very dangerous. You don't go anywhere near St. Pete's here. Sorry, guys. They're not making the Final Four. It's just not happening. The Midwest region, look at the Midwest. Uh, Kansas, minus 175. Miami, Iowa State, you don't know what's going on. And Providence. Look, I think Kansas, minus 175, is just a great play. It's a great play. Because 
Look, Kansas over Providence, we'll get into that in a moment, but the line is is pretty juiced up, and then it's going to be the same thing against Miami and Ohio State. So while I could hear the argument on Gonzaga, and mathematically, Michigan makes a lot of sense. So Gonzaga, Gonzaga, I get. I can't really argue against that. I'm not going to take it, but I can't argue against it. Michigan makes the most mathematical sense. I'm staying completely away from the East. Kansas is my bet. If I'm doing that, Kansas is is the team that I'm going with here in this situation just because, um, you know, who they have to play and, and what the lines are going to be. You're actually getting a pretty good advantage at minus 175. So we'll start there. We'll start with Kansas. Uh, they are minus 7.5 over-unders, 141 against Providence. Good team in Providence here. Uh, I was down on them. I didn't buy into them. Look, they are the Big East regular season champs. No matter how fluky you want to say it is, that's what they are. They are the Big East regular season champions. And you could call it fluky all you want, and I have, but they are here, and they're playing well. And then, look, I didn't believe that they were going to get out of the first round. They did, and they've played well. And now they're sitting here in the Sweet 16, and they're continuing to play well. That is something that you have to start to look at. Kansas on the other side. Kansas has that Villanova look that I said, you know, the look of a champion. Kansas is a team that's looking like they're streaking in the right direction at the right time. They absolutely look like you're giving Bill Self four days off uh, to kind of wait and sit around and, and game plan for Providence. Providence has played a lot of tough competition this year. Providence has also played a lot of very close games this year. Kansas feels like, okay, we are just a superior team, and they have. Now, there are some things here. Kansas has allowed 68 or fewer points six of the last seven games. So they're going to rely upon that defense. Kansas is looked at as an offensive shooting team, an offensive team that goes you know all out. No, no, no. They're really not, guys. They have allowed 68 or less in six of the last seven games. Providence, they've scored 66 or fewer in three of the last four games. So you expect this to be a, a relatively low-scoring game. This looks like a game where both of the, the sides are going to have a problem scoring. Kansas may have an easier time, but they should be keeping Providence to 66, 65 points or less. Now, remember, the total is 141, so it's not a high total, but it's something to pay attention to. Um, both teams are allowing other teams, uh, their opponents, to shoot just about 31% from three-point range. Now, that's ranked 33rd and 34th of the country. You're not going to see a lot of threes. Once again, lends to the under here, lends to a slower-paced game, lends to a game that Kansas enjoys. Uh Friars are getting 43% of their points from two-point shots. Yeah, when they're on the road. That that makes sense, right? Um, that's the 16th fewest among 350-plus Division One teams. Yeah, that that they've also had only 8.3% uh, of their shots blocked, which comes in, you know, down near the bottom in the last 20% or, or whatnot. So, look, the way that I see this game playing out is that Kansas' defense is just too much for problems. So I, I get the line. The thing is, is that Providence has played close games all year long. They've played close games. They're 8-1 and one against the spread this year as a underdog. The line is pumped up to 7.5. If this was a game, do I think Kansas gets out and they win this game? Sure. Do they win this game 68-66 or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Can they win this game uh, you know, 70-63? to 63? Yeah, they, you know, they, they certainly could. None of those scores just covered. Because the line is a little bit pumped up because it is Kansas. It is a blue blood. Nobody bought into Providence. I I can't go against Providence as an underdog in this spot. I really can't. I think Kansas wins. I think they actually win relatively handedly. I wouldn't be surprised if they won this game by double digits or more. But in this spot, you have to look at what 
Providence has done. And what Providence has done, not only on the floor itself, but also with their metrics. And their metric says not a lot of threes are going to be hit. Usually that the three-point ball is the reason why teams get blown out. Not a lot of, of that's going to happen. Providence also slows the pace down. Well, that lends to a closer game as well. This is a classic case of me liking a team to win, liking a team to win pretty handily. I got the moving on in my bracket all day long. Oh, sure. You know, I like that. But I don't love in any way, shape, or form laying seven and a half in this spot. Look, to me, it's Kansas or nothing. I'm not taking Providence with the seven and a half. I, I just can't do that. Because I think that Kansas wins the game. I like to take an underdog if I think the team's going to win. And you could say it's going to be a close game. Yeah, I, I think it is going to be a relatively close game. But I've also watched during this tournament, and how many tournaments in our lives, where a close game throughout, 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 or all of a sudden turns into a nine-point win, right? Because of fouls at the end and a couple of bad uh, passes. Yeah, that can happen. So I'm staying away from this one. All right, let's tell you, talk about the Cinderella story. St. Peter's against Purdue. Purdue is a team that I had going to the Final Four when I did my preseason predictions. Purdue is a team that I had going to my Final Four when I did my brackets. I did two brackets, guys. I have Kansas winning one bracket. I had Tennessee winning the other bracket. I had Purdue in the Final Four. So Purdue comes in here. I, I, I've said it all along. When Purdue is playing their best, they are maybe the best team in the country. And they have proved it so far in this tournament. But... They're now 12.5-point favorites over Little Upstart St. Peter's, right? And Little Upstart St. Peter's with a total of 135. Little Upstart St. Peter's I, I don't think is getting the credit that they deserve. They really are a good team. Now, do I think Purdue is going to win? Sure. But we have to talk about the 12.5, and, and the 12.5 is really where we have to concentrate here because that's that's what we're talking about, right? If you want to take money line Purdue, go ahead. You're, you're going to be probably moving on and, and without a problem. St. Pete's defense is 11th nationally in points allowed per possession. St. Peter's defense is a good team. And here's the thing. When you get into this round and you start to talk about, um, you know, the upset-minded teams and the teams that got here as 15 seeds, 16 seeds, 14 seeds, whatnot, you're usually talking about a hot shooter and then, you know, they could go cold. Well, when you're playing by defense and you're really – your MO is defense – and you're getting 12 and a half points in a game, you got to kind of like that right there. Casey Indefo, who led the country with uh, just about four blocks per game last season, he's going to be in the middle of that defense. That's not a fluke. Yeah, I know you played in St. Pete's, and it's no, you know, nobody cares about that kind of conference and everything else. He's no fluke. And the defense being ranked 11th nationally is no fluke. You play in a weaker conference, sure, but that doesn't mean you're a fluky team. You may have had a fluky run here. I don't think that as a 15 seed anybody expects them to go any further, but we're talking 12 and a half. Now, Purdue is fourth in the country in three-point shooting percentage, um, but over the last eight games, they've dropped down to 32%. So they're having a hard time shooting the outside shot. Again, Purdue, even though they're moving on, even though Purdue is looking good, one of the things that they do exceptionally well is shoot the three, and it has not been working over the last eight games. It hasn't been working to where they need it to work over the last eight games. Once again, we'll keep mentioning that St. Peter's defense is here to play. St. Peter's defense is 16th in the country in opponents' three-point shooting. They hold them to under 30%. Oh, well, there you go. So, I mean, logic tells you that they're going to have a hard time shooting the three, Will Will Purdue. And logic tells you that St. Pete's, as bad of a conference as they came from, and as upstarty as you want to call them, and as Cinderella as this, and all of that, 
St. Pete's at the end of the day has a good defense. St. Pete's at the end of the day has a man in the middle that absolutely makes you work for your shots. St. Pete's at the end of the day has a defense that really holds people down on the three-point percentage shooting. And when people look at this and they go, okay, well, they can hold people down three-point shooting-wise, but Purdue is fourth in the country in three-point shooting. They're going to forget that they've gone all the way back to just 32% over the last eight games. That's something to pay attention to. Okay, that's something to pay attention to. So, you know, I think Purdue wins this game, guys. I can't go against Purdue in this spot. I do think that they're the superior team. I think they could win without shooting threes. And I think they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to win without shooting threes. But if you take the three-point shot away from Purdue, and I'm assuming that St. Pete will at least limit them. Let's keep them the percentage. Of they're going to hit about 30 32%. So if Purdue hits about 30 32%, and that's the only position that we're, we're kind of uh, saying, okay, you know, Purdue is going to have a problem. St. Pete's going to have a problem. Uh, or will have an ease stopping them. Everything else St. Pete's will have a problem with. Yeah, I could buy into that. That means Purdue wins, which I think is going to happen. That probably means Purdue doesn't cover 12 and a half. I think it's an inflated line here. So you have two inflated lines where I'm leaning the dog in both situations. But if you ask me two teams to go to the Final Four right now, I'm saying Purdue and Kansas. So, you know, remember, the lines are there for a reason. And, and don't just blindly go with what's going on. Because, I mean, we have to... We do have to really take a, a peek at that. By the way, only two 15 seeds have made it this far in the NCAA tournament. St. Pete's is breaking ground, doing new things. They are a true Cinderella. Florida Gulf Coast in 2013, Oral Roberts in 2021. Remember the Oral Roberts run? You remember I was on top of them. Both of them lost by 12 points in the Sweet 16. This line is set at 12 and a half. <laughs> right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's right there. All right, let's talk about Miami, Iowa State. Miami, two and a half point favorites. 133 is a total. It's a 10 against an 11. A 10 against an 11 in this spot. Yeah, this, this is a, an interesting matchup. It really is. Iowa State, look, they are that team that you look at and you go, they're just a superior defensive team. I mean, they are an absolute just monster defensively. But every now and then, their offense just can't seem to muster points. Look, against Wisconsin, they held Wisconsin to 49 points. And not only did they do that, that was in basically their backyard. That was in Milwaukee, okay? So they played basically a road game, held the home team and the favorite and the number three seed to 49 points. They did the same thing against LSU, holding them to 54 points. That's been their MO. I mean, in a loss against Oklahoma State three games before the end of the season, they held Oklahoma State to 53 points and lost the game. Why? Because they scored 36. Now, Baylor and Texas Tech were able to put up 72 and 75 on them. Kansas State was able to put up 73. West Virginia, 84 to close out the season. So for the last five games, they were able to put up 72 or more points on them. But it looks like all of a sudden, Iowa State's defense clamped down. Now, do you believe in the clamp down Iowa State defense here? Do you believe in that? That's, that's really what you have to look at because... Winning 59-54, 54-49, they're going to have a problem offensively. They're not going to be able to score. But that just has not seemed to be an issue. <laughs> I mean, it really hasn't. They have not seemed to have a problem. Um, they have really allowed six three-pointers. I mean, this this defense is fantastic, guys. They're fantastic. Now, the Hurricanes, meanwhile, by the way, they're struggling from three-point range. They're having a problem shooting three-pointers right now. Well, okay, I was smiling ear to ear. Now, 
the Hurricanes' defense is actually also pretty good. They've held back-to-back opponents to under one point per possession, and that's the first time they've done that since January. So Miami's defense has stepped up as well. And Miami, you look at and you go, okay, wait a minute, Miami's defense has all of a sudden seemingly turned a corner. Should they be favorites? No, I, I don't think they should. I think they're getting a lot of favoritism because of the name Miami. But they have gone through a tougher road. USC, that was a tough game. That was a tight game. They held them a two-point win. They held them to 66 points. Very tight game. Could have gone either way. Then they went out and they absolutely just blitzed Auburn. I don't want to call Miami's win a fluke, but it's kind of fluky. Right, I mean, it just, it, look, it, it, I don't want to say it's a fluke, but it looks kind of fluky. Auburn had an off day. Or you look back at every game that Auburn played this year, that was the worst game they played. I don't think you could argue that. I don't think that that's up for debate. Now, you can tell me that Miami forced them to play a bad game. Okay, I'm listening to that. You can sit back and you could have a conversation of how, you know, Miami sat back and, and they forced them into turnover and they forced them to look sloppy and they put the pressure on them. All of that is true. I'm not here to argue that Miami had a hand in making them look bad, but they looked bad. And a lot of that was not Miami. A lot of that was was self-doing. Miami had a hand in it, but a lot of that was self-doing. Look, I'm not going anywhere near this game. This is a really back-and-forth matchup that I can't go near. I think both teams have certainly have the ability to win this game. I think the spread, to me, it should be a pick. Miami minus two, two and a half. I'm okay with that. Um, there's no value in taking the underdog here unless you really do believe it's like a two-point game. Really, you have to play this game out in your head, and how you have to handicap this game is as simple as this. Do you believe that Iowa State's defense has stepped up over the last two games enough to continue, or do you believe that Iowa State's defense has some holes, has some vulnerability that they did have late in the season? Because late in the season, this wasn't a team holding teams to 59 and 49 points. Um this isn't a team that was living and dying on their defense. This was a team that couldn't get things done offensively, but their defense really didn't look very good at the end of the year. Iowa State has looked great defensively over the course of the season, but they ended poorly. Now, did they correct things for the tournament, or was it just a matter of, hey, not playing these great tournament teams? Miami is a two-and-a-half-point favorite because of the name of Miami. They're also a two-and-a-half-point favorite because they took down Auburn. Everybody thought how good Auburn was. So understand that... It, if you went back, you know, a week from now and, and after the first round games of Iowa State and Miami, this line would probably be a pick'em. So the line is off by a couple of points just because of recency bias and who everybody went up against and what they played. Keep that in mind. All right, let's talk UCLA, North Carolina. This is the most fun game of the weekend to me. I know the Duke game is going to be the best game, probably the most watched game. UCLA, North Carolina is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And it's a Friday night and it's, you know, the late game on Friday, I'm pumped up for this. UCLA, two-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 141-and-a-half. Um, UCLA is the better team. I, I don't think you could argue that, but North Carolina has just been streaking in the right direction. North Carolina has always had the talent. We knew that from, from the very set onset of all of this. Yeah, they have certainly had the talent, but they have had a hard time kind of really stepping up the competition over the course of the year. Yeah, look, they lost to Purdue. They lost to Tennessee. They did beat Michigan, though. You know, so they came back and they did that. Now you get into the – and they lost to Kentucky. So they lost to the big boys, Kentucky, Tennessee, Purdue, all over the course of the season. They beat Michigan out of conference. All right, then you get into conference play. And you get into conference play, 
And you look at, well, they were up and down. They started conference play two and three, losing at Miami, losing at Notre Dame, losing at Wake Forest, which none of them are bad losses. And you throw in a win at Virginia, which is still a quality opponent in there. Then they went out on a streak, winning three in a row against lesser opponents. Got destroyed, humiliated by Duke at home. They lost by 20. They came back, and all of a sudden, what did they do? Well, at the end of the year, and this is the, the just who North Carolina is, at the end of the year, they won eight of the last nine games, including six in a row, before getting to that Virginia Tech game in the ACC uh, championship series. Their loss, though, was to Pitt. Horrendous loss. Over that course, they did go to Virginia Tech and get a win. That's a nice big win. They did go to Duke and get a win. That's a nice win. They beat Virginia by 20. It's a nice win. Now, you lose to Virginia Tech, and it kind of takes a, a little bit of the glimmer off, but they had still been streaking. Don't forget, going into that Virginia Tech game, they won six games in a row, guys. Then they took on Marquette, a very good Marquette team, early on in that series. They blew them out of the water. They won by 32 points. They put up 95 then they took on Baylor, another, look, a number one seed. You could say they were a vulnerable one, and I did. Put up 90-plus points in that game. 90-plus points, guys. So UCLA is streaking. I'm sorry, North Carolina is streaking in the right direction. Now, UCLA, I said, was the better team. I think they are. And I think that they really ended the season looking really, really good. They also had one loss in their last uh, 10 games. All right? And that was at Oregon. All right, no, no shame going on the road against Oregon. They beat USC twice to get there, but you know, they failed to Arizona in the championship game. All right. Then they come out here and you look at what they did um, you know, in the now the the tournament. Took out Akron. And they only got a four point win over Akron. Four point win where they scored only fifty seven points against Akron. Not known for their defense. Guys, I'm not impressed with that UCLA win. St. Mary's, well they held St. Mary's to fifty six, so their defense is working well. Uh, and you know, you got a very convincing win. But again, look I'm going to say this uh, with with tongue-in-cheek, but it's the truth. It's still St. Mary's. I mean, still St. Mary's. Now, um, Jamie Yaquez is questionable with an ankle injury. I I think that this line is probably about five if he's fully healthy. I think that UCLA is the better team. I think that UCLA has the better defense. I think that UCLA can certainly win this game. UCLA does well in the tournament. It's a 7-1 against the spread in the tournament since 2021. UCLA... All of this leans to UCLA, but I cannot get over the fact that UNC, a massively superior team when you're talking about pure talent-wise, is streaking in the right direction. They've had one bad game in over a month. They've gone into hostile territory time and time again and got those wins. Their tournament so far, they put up 90-plus points in both games in the tournament. I'm more impressed with UNC, but I think UCLA is the better team. So what do you do? Do you go with talent and who impresses you? Or do you go with, hey, who do you think actually is the better team? I got to stay away from this one. I don't think North Carolina scores 95 again. But can they get into that 75 range or so? 80? Yeah. Kind of like the over a little bit. Kind of like the over a little bit. And I know UCLA's defense is good. But that's where I'd be leaning if I have anything there. All right, guys. Let's take a quick timeout um, to go and look at some future odds. Because I have some interesting future odds. So let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. future. Let's go bet to the future. And we're betting to the future. Most outstanding tournament player odds. Yeah, this is going to be good. 
Uh, Drew Timmy, 3-1 to one odds leading the way. Everybody thinks Gonzaga is going to the Final Four and to the championship and probably winning the championship, and that would make sense, the best player on that team. Holmgren, 9-1. to one. You have guys like Ivy at 14 to 1. Connor Gillespie's 20 to 1. Kalako's 20 to 25 to 1. Uh, Johnny Juzang, 25 to 1. Nembard is 15 to 1. So you got some pretty good values. That is bet to the future. You got some pretty good values here. Um I, I I'm not taking I'm not taking any of the favorites here. you know. But it's hard. Look, it's hard. I mean, a guy like Gillespie makes sense. At 20 to 1, he he makes some sense. He makes some sense because you think that he's going to get there. Villanova's got a chance to get there. Villanova's got a chance to win it. So he makes a lot of sense. I I don't go on this because you're not so much banking necessarily on who's going to go out there and win the most uh, valuable player. You're really going out there, and what you're doing is you're going and saying, yeah, I think that this team is going to win it all. I would rather just take all that money, right? I would just take all of that money that you were going to bet and I would just rather throw it on that, on the idea that you're you're gonna go out there. You like if you like Gonzaga, I'm just gonna go take Gonzaga, right? I mean, Timmy will probably win it, but at three to one, I'd rather just go take Gonzaga to win it all. That makes more sense to me. If he's gonna be the most outstanding player, it's probably gonna be from a team that wins it. I would just take that. Doesn't make it. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't like this prop play. I don't love it. I know a lot of people like it. I mean, and and they really like it. I think you just take the team to go win it all. Just take that money, roll it over, and say, this is my championship team. This is my championship winner. This is the team that, that I have going all the way. I, I just think it makes more sense. All right, guys, we're going to switch off of college basketball. I know, crazy. But we're going to switch off of college basketball, switch off the Sweet 16 talk and the Elite 8 talk. By the way, the next time we talk, we're going to be talking Final Four. That's kind of exciting. Um, we're going to switch off of that, and we are going to go into the NFL. Because in the middle, just like Tom Brady, right, ruining Selection Sunday. And, you know, a lot of people just really brushed that over. Tom Brady could have announced it any time, any day, anything. You guys know I'm a big Brady fan. Why, why, why announce it on Selection Sunday? I mean, come on. That was just, you know, that was a, a bad, that was the evil Tom Brady. The people talk about Tom Brady being, you know, that guy. You know, that kind of jerk. Well, that was the evil Tom Brady to take away. Uh, but once again, here we go. In the middle of the tournament. Now, this wasn't intentional or anything. But in the middle of the tournament, we have a huge NFL trade. Absolutely massive trade in the NFL that goes down. Tyreek Hill is a Miami Dolphin. Wow. So, let me just tell you how this kind of went down. Now, I, I have... Plenty of people on the inside of the NFL that will kind of give me an alert, give me a heads up about some things that are going on and whatnot. Um, I heard nothing. I heard nothing about the Tyreek Hill news all offseason. I heard nothing about him being unhappy. I heard nothing about an idea of maybe he'd want out. No, no, no. There was dead silence here, guys. This was silence from the Tyreek Hill camp and the Kansas City camp. Maybe that's a, a, you know, you could say that's credit to them for keeping it quiet, but there was nothing out there. Then all of a sudden, and I got to Atlantic City on Wednesday night. All of a sudden, on Sunday night and Monday, I started hearing, well, Tyreek's you know, asking for a contract extension. Tyreek, you know, things are, are not great in Kansas City. But it wasn't, there was never, uh, he's going to be traded. It was always like, ah, they got to come to a contract situation. And yeah, all right, Tyreek, we know his, we know who that guy is, right? We know his 
personality and you know problems he's had in the past. So uh, it doesn't shock me that he's asking for more money. Uh, it doesn't shock me that he's unhappy. You know, and that was just the general mindset that that I think we all had. But there was no real rumblings. There was no real oh oh well this is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, well, I'm sitting there and, you know, on Tuesday night, I started hearing a little bit more, ah, you know, yeah, Ty- Tyreek's unhappy. Never got to the point that he wouldn't be a chief. It was more Tyreek's unhappy. And he started to hear, well, I went to sleep Sunday night, or Tuesday night, I mean. Yeah, it was a little bit of Tyreek's unhappy. Ty- Tyreek's not, 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 not great. Now, my trip and my my drive to Atlantic City is about three hours, and I left Wednesday. So I got on in the car, and I'm listening to some sports talk radio. Almost no mention of it. Almost no mention of it. Here and there, you'd hear during the update, you know, Tyreek Hill's not exactly very happy. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? I mean, that was it. You, you didn't think anything of it. No big deal. All right, it is what it is. Uh, but almost no mention of it during a three-hour car ride listening to Sports Talk Radio because it was all about the, the Sweet 16, which, I, I'm sorry, the uh, NCAA tournament, which it should have been. It was all about the tournament. But there was almost no mention of it. I even went to the NFL Network for a little bit in between commercials. I sw- which switched over. I got my series. I went over to the X- uh, NFL Network, listened to that. Almost nothing on it. Almost nothing. And then suddenly... Within, like, hours, it seemed, it went from Tyreek Hill, yeah, you know, he's got a little contract issue, to, well, Tyreek Hill's going to be traded and he's choosing his teams are going to be either the Jets or Miami. And well, Wait, what? How did... Whoa, 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 let's unravel this. First of all, Tyreek's being traded. In my opinion, one of the, the most important one-two punches in NFL history is being broken up with Mahomes and Tyreek. This is this is unbelievable. He's what that makes that offense go. I mean, we all love Mahomes, but it's the idea that Kelsey you can't defend underneath because you got to watch Tyree. I mean, everything is perfect. This doesn't make any sense. Now they did sign Juju, by the way, so maybe Kansas City knew this was going down, but it made no sense. And then him to basically <laughs> choose the Jets or Miami. What? What? What are we doing here? Are you kidding me? So. Tyreek gets then then it seemed within minutes we were in the sports book and you know people were like oh my goodness Tyreek Tyreek might go to the Jets he he might what he might go to the Jets yeah it's possible he's going to the Jets I'm here in Miami here in Miami yeah those are the two teams and then within minutes it I felt like I didn't even finish our sentences and it was nope Tyreek's gone he just went to Miami what it all happened so fast and maybe it happened so fast because I was in sports books and I was watching this, the NCAA tournament and I was involved and, and just kind of distracted. Maybe if I was sitting at home on my couch and, uh, you know, or I was sitting in my office and, you know, following the news and, and waiting to write an article or, or waiting to put my show together. Maybe it would have seemed like it was normal time. But because it was the NCAA tournament, because I, I was among people that nobody believed what just happened, nobody could even kind of understand the scope of what happened. Tyreek Hill is no longer a Kansas City chief. It's just a crazy sentence to come out and say. It's crazy. It's crazy to think. I, I think that this massively, massively impacts the West. You know, it's funny because we were looking at the West and I said, you know, Russell Wilson's coming there. I don't know how much of a bump up it really gives Denver. You know, they'll win a couple more games, but they're still clearly behind 
you know, the the eight ball here because you got Kansas City in that division. And then Khalil Mack comes to the Chargers, and I go, all right, well, they closed the gap a little, but, but you know, it's still Kansas City. And then Devontae Adams comes to the Raiders, and I go, oh, that's a nice move. It's a nice move. But he's still looking up at Kansas City. They all made big moves forward. The Chiefs just made a massive move backwards. Massive. I don't like Tyreek Hill. I never have. I never will. You want to know why? Go look up uh, Google what he did in college, okay? I don't like Tyreek Hill. Never have. But I certainly understand his game. I certainly respect his game. I understand the difference maker that he can be. I think this is a massive blow to the Chiefs. And right now, anybody that was holding a Chiefs ticket to win the Super Bowl, you got to feel uneasy. You've got to feel like this is a step back. You can tell me you're replacing with Juju and whatnot. There, there are certain attributes that certain players have, and the speed that Tyreek Hill has is just an attribute that nobody could go up against. You just can't go up against it. He is a mismatch nightmare that Kansas City now will not have. Kansas City is in a much tougher division. Much tougher division. Toughest division in the NFL, bar none. And they just lost their top weapon. I love Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey getting a little old in the tooth. Okay, a little long in the tooth there, Travis. This is a devastating blow to Kansas City. Now, do I still think that the Kansas City Chiefs can win the Super Bowl? Yeah, they could. Yeah, they could, but I'm not betting on it. No way. No way. I'm not even talking about odds. I'm talking about straight. If I did a show right now who's winning the Super Bowl in the AFC, Kansas City's not coming out for me because I think that this is a devastating, devastating loss. What do the sports books think? Not so much. Not so much. Caesar Sportsbook, the Dolphins' chances went from 70-1 to 1 to 40-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Their odds to win the AFC went from 35-1 to 1 to 20-1. to 1. All right, still nobody's taking the Dolphins to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs went from, this is at Caesar Sportsbook, uh, plus 850 to plus 900 to win the AFC, uh, or to win the Super Bowl, and then from 500 to 400 to win the AFC. I, I mean, yeah, it's negligible. Negligible. In another sports book over at BetMGM, before the Tyreek trade, the Chiefs were plus 900. Dolphins were plus 5,000 to win the Super Bowl. After the trade, Chiefs were still 9-1. to Dolphins were still 50-1. to So they don't think it's that big of a deal. I do. I do. Sorry. Um, you know, To me, this is a, a trade that will resonate. As far as the Dolphins go, by the way, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill playing on the same field together. Wow. Wow. I think that Miami, and I know Miami wants to go to a run-first offense. You know, their new coach is a run-first guy. I get that. I think Miami's going to be throwing slam patterns all day long. <laughs> I mean, I think Tyreek maybe maybe makes them a playoff team. I think that it, this, this is a massively impactful trade. The other trade that went down, uh, Matt Ryan is now an Indianapolis Colt. Is Matt Ryan marketably better than Carson Wentz? No. Do I think that the Colts can win with Matt Ryan? Sure. Do I think Matt Ryan's winning a Super Bowl? No. Do I think it was a good move? Yes. I, and that's how I feel. You know, Matt Ryan's 37-6, and six, by the way, when a player runs for 100 yards in a game. I'm speaking to you, Jonathan Taylor. So I think the Matt Ryan situation, um, while it was a good move, doesn't move the needle for me. Can I, can I go there? You know, while it was a good move... I think of the Colts' ceiling the same exact way that I thought of the Colts' ceiling when they had Carson Wentz. Not that I don't think that Matt Ryan's better. I think he's a better player. I think Matt Ryan's a better fit for that team. 
I think Matt Ryan could have a great year. But their ceiling is about the same, which their ceiling is fight for a division title. You have an opportunity to win a division title. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm probably taking them to win a division title. But you're not getting by Buffalo. You're not getting by Kansas City. You're probably not getting by the Chargers. You may not get by Denver. You're not getting by Baltimore. You know, if you didn't play in that weak division of yours, you're a wild card team with or without Matt Ryan. So I like the move. I think it's a good move. But on a betting circle, I don't see them much different than where I had them before this. All right, guys. That's going to do it for me. Enjoy the Sweet 16. Enjoy the Elite Eight. Make sure you save lots of money here for the Elite Eight. I know a lot of people go out there. They just put a big chunk of money down on Thursday and Friday and then Saturday and Sunday they're sitting around if they had a bad day. Oh, I got nothing left. And I really like this game. So make sure that you... Play very smartly this weekend. There's a lot of games going on, a lot of big-time contests, a lot of contests that are going to be right in your face. So enjoy it, but make sure we make some money. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.